0: Thought to yourself, well, Pastor, you look really at ease this morning. Uh, you would be correct about that. Uh, often during the summer, it's, it's not terribly uncommon for me to to preach and to service lead and to, and to play drums all in the same time. And now on this long weekend, I get to do none of those things. I get to sit back and relax and learn with the rest of you because we have a guest speaker here. Uh, Mark Henkelman has come to to preach the word to us. And Mark is someone that's been a longtime friend of mine. We first met at Providence Bible College back in 2003, which means we've, that was over half our lifetime ago now, which is scary to think about it. <laughs> So uh, Mark was a guy that, uh, that I got to know quite well, and then it was in our second semester of Bible school that we started a Bible study together along with two other close friends, and then it became apparent to me that Mark was going to be someone who would uh, help me in my spiritual journey as well, not just be a friend to have fun, but someone uh, who loved Jesus and sought to grow closer to him and encouraged me to do the same. And uh, he actually has preached here before. If my memory serves me correct, he would have come and shared uh, in my first year here, uh, just before... Uh, COVID turned everything upside down. Um, and so now I told him he could preach the exact same message and none of you would remember. So, uh, so here we are <laughs> with something new and different. But my hope is as someone uh, who has been, again, an advocate for me, someone who has encouraged and sharpened me in my spiritual journey, that in, in some small way, he would be able to do the same for us as he preaches this morning. So why don't you give a warm welcome to Mark?
1: Uh, I do. There it is. I didn't really do anything though when it turned back on. So if it dies on me again, I'll. Um, he left out a lot of the the dumb things we also did in college, not just the spiritual formation and sharpening, um, including a road trip, a very very epic road trip that we did um, to Mexico when we were 18 in a 1992 Honda Civic hatchback, four of us, for like eight, ten, eight, nine days. That hatchback probably should have been burned afterwards because it had no, it was the like the CX model, so no uh, passenger side mirror for those of you old enough to know that that actually was a thing cars had as an option to add. No AC manual, the muffler, um, the exhaust actually broke off in South Dakota on the way down. So we had no exhaust. So it was, I think we all had permanent hearing loss, uh, the car probably should have been burned, but it was a very good trip. Um, it actually, as I've been prepping for for coming today, um, kind of in these last dregs of summer, I've been a little bit sad that our family road trip didn't happen uh, this summer, because this the first portion of the summer we were house hunting, then um, packing, then moving, then unpacking, and so my summer has been entirely kind of house-related. I grew up in a family that road-tripped pretty heavily, um, did the like five-week-long, you know, all the way to the west coast and back, stopping at every little place along the way, visiting every family member and friend. Um, and so the the road trip thing has been on my mind actually in prep, and. I was remembering how even on that road trip, which so for those of you under the age of of thirty, you will probably never have experienced or will experience driving somewhere far enough that the map you had in the map drawer in your door wearing or no longer being relevant, having to go into the gas station, find the kiosk with the with all of the racks of maps you know, with the big label of where that specific map was for, grabbing the map that was the next portion of your journey, and then going back to your car and unfolding it. So for those of you who can watch like the Goof Troop movie or the Goofy movie, that'll like give you a taste of it. No no one under the age of 30 does this anymore. And opening it up, having it fill your entire dash taking the two minutes to find where on the map you actually are, because the map is the whole thing laid out before you, finding where you are and then trying to fold it back up so that you had like four to six of the panels open so that you could reference it while you were driving. So you are about to start a journey as a church or restart a journey or continue a journey. You have been working through Acts before the summer hit and before you all decided that the lake was more appealing. Uh, And now you are coming back to Acts this fall. And in Acts, the first portion that you have gone through, to, to jog your memories way back before sunshine and beaches and travel hit and road trips hit, you were looking at the early church in its formation in Jerusalem, and and if you if I were to ask you who the main character would have been, you probably would have said Peter. You can actually answer me. I'm okay with that. I won't. I'm, I'm actually used to the this summer I've been preaching through Romans, uh, helping a pastor out a pastor friend of mine out in Winnipeg, and their church is like super interactive, like to the point of it's okay if you interrupt me. I won't be phased. Um, and I'll embarrass you because I almost wore the same shirt as you this morning. And so, yeah, no, no, you're looking behind you? No, it's you. Yeah, I almost wore the same shirt as you, so you're doing good. You uh, you can take that as, I should probably burn that shirt, or maybe by the end of it you'll be like, oh, actually, no, I like this shirt a little more now. We'll see. But we've been preaching through Romans, um, and that's where we're going to be today. And the reason we're going to look a little bit at Romans today is because now the portion of the journey you're going into is a shift. It's no longer focusing, Acts is no longer going to focus on Peter and the church in Jerusalem, but the focus shifts to Paul and the focus of everywhere else. Paul's missionary journeys. You're going to, you're going to hear the story of Paul over these next This next season. And so I figured it would be beneficial for you to unfurl the map that is guiding Paul. I figured it would be beneficial to look at the map that guides Paul through Acts. And he gives us a picture of that map, the best picture of that map, in the book of Romans. The book of Romans is where Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, draws the picture of the gospel for the church in Rome and for us today. And so Paul unfurls the gospel. The map that we're looking at today would say gospel on the front when we pick it off the kiosk. And he unfurls it and we, he gives us in Romans the full scope of it. Because the gospel is on one hand kind of simple But in function and in reality, Paul goes to the full depth of it in Romans. Which is why I love Acts, and I love Romans, and I love them together. Um, I feel like it was actually Providence, not literally the Bible college that brought us together, but Providence, as in the Holy Spirit's guidance, that brought this together today. Because my study over the last two months has been in Romans, which walks alongside as you're getting ready to do Acts very well. See, to give you the context of what Paul was doing, Paul was traveling and Paul was writing letters the whole time he was traveling. And so you're going to get into that. I'm not going to go focus on the travel part. We're just going to focus on the letter part that he was writing to the church in Rome. Because he couldn't be everywhere at once. And unfortunately, FaceTime and online streaming didn't exist. And so he wrote letters to keep up with the churches he had visited, or to prepare the way for the churches he was going to. And it was the the, the way that communication happened then, and thankfully it happened that way then, because we kept those letters that Paul wrote, and they give us this picture of why he wanted to go on this journey, why he wanted to travel, why it was so important for him That he was willing to, you'll find out, risk life, risk limb, risk comfort, risk freedom, risk everything for the sake of the gospel. So the church he was writing to was this church in Rome. And it was an interesting time that Paul was writing the book of, that now, the letter that now became Romans, because the church was at, Kind of a tension point. And, and it feels like that tension point mirrors a lot of our world today. So when Paul was writing, there was a growing conflict between two groups in the church in Rome the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. So what had happened in the history of the church is the church had b- been planted by Jewish Christians who came from Jerusalem, who had been converted and, and came to Christ in that initial portion of Acts. They went out and they came to Jerusalem, or into, to Rome. They planted the church. The church was growing and flourishing. And then Emperor Claudius at the time didn't like that. We know you'll see in Acts 18 when you get there um, some reference to this you'll also, you also see in historical references from like, ancient Roman scholars like Suetonius who reference that Emperor Claudius exiled every Jew from the city of Rome because of disruptions instigated by one, Crestus. So the Jewish Christians were causing so much disruption in the city of Rome that they were exiled for five years. Then they came back. There was enough change in government and policy and pressure, economic and otherwise, that Jews were allowed back into Rome and they returned five years later and they found the church still there. But what they found is that in five years, things looked different because you had... The Jewish Christians who had come with their Jewish culture and the gospel, and they gave the gospel to the Gentiles, to the Roman Greek people, and the Roman Greek people received the gospel. And so you had the gospel in the middle, but then you had the Roman Greek culture and the Jewish culture on either side, and that led to conflict. And so Paul is writing into the midst of that. And what's beautiful is that Paul, in his writing into the midst of that, does not just say, okay, guys, cut it out, get your act together, remember gospel, you're good. He realizes that what's actually happening is more of a heart issue in the people in the church, and more of a misunderstanding of the gospel. And so he writes a letter that pours out the gospel. And he lays out kind of the core of the gospel. And and his main point that he drums on over and over and over and over again in Romans is that you are saved by faith. That you are saved by the grace of God. That you do not save yourself. And you're thinking, so how does this deal with eating pork? How does this deal with hand-washing and how does this deal with circumcision? But Paul gets that what's happening in Rome is that things are getting strapped to the gospel. Not to depress you on like the day after the hottest day of, this, of the year, but winter is coming. <laughs> and you... Uh, for those of you with kids, uh, my kids are uh, five and seven. And so they have their Oshkosh snowsuits. And you can all picture in your mind whether you want to or not in this moment. The, and for those of you with older kids or for those of you who are where we are and know what it's like, um, and for those of you who are on the way there, There is the, the getting ready process. Right now, the summer is great because you're like, just get your shoes on, which still takes 20 minutes. Don't get me wrong. But you just get the shoes on and you go. In the winter, it's like an hour of like, okay, do you have your, do you have your long johns on? Okay, good. Now, do you have your uh, shirt? Do you have, okay, now you got a sweater? You got a sweater? Great. Now, let's get the coat on. Now, let's get the scarf. We got the balaclava, We got the hood up. We got the mitts on over up top. Do we have the little like clippy thingies there? Good. We do. All right. Boots. Okay, wait, shoot, we forgot the, the extra layer of socks, boots off, socks on. By the time they're done, you have these kids that move like this. We do that to the gospel. The Jewish Christians in Rome were doing that to the gospel. They were wrapping it in so much stuff that they were changing and masking and hiding the beauty of the gospel. And so Paul's heart is for the gospel. It led him to go, spoiler alert for Acts, he willingly goes to prison in Rome. At the beginning of the book of of Romans, he talks about how he longs to go to Rome. The way he gets there, you'll find out, is different than what he was probably thinking. But Paul is willing to be imprisoned, risk life and limb and injury, snake bites and mob, because of this beautiful gospel, and he does not want that to get lost. He does not want that to get so many things strapped to it that it actually almost becomes, and well, I shouldn't say almost, that it becomes something different, something not the gospel. So Paul starts speaking in Romans. We'll spend most of our time kind of through three, four, and five of Romans, if you want to follow along, um, I'm going to be in using the ESV. So, if that's not your translation of preference, I apologize. Um, my brain connects with it, so you can either judge me by that or or go woo. Um, so, Paul starts painting this picture as he's talking about the gospel, and it starts pretty grim. He starts by reminding us of who we all are as broken humans. In chapter 3, he quotes the Old Testament. And it's, it's visceral, beautiful language that paints a very strong image, but a harsh image. That none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, for they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is in their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul paints this picture that helps us understand that when the fall came, we were broken. And we, as as humanity, are broken. That we are sinful. All of us. Whether we are... Now, here's where I'm going to put the spoiler in. When When we're talking about the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome... I want you to realize that we are, as Western Christians, probably more like the Jews than the Gentiles in this story. So when Paul is criticizing, he's kind of criticizing us, just so you know. But that he is saying that whether whatever you fall in, wherever you are, whoever you are, no matter what stripe, creed, nation, whether you are Mennonite or German, my kids just had the epiphany on the drive here that they are half Mennonite, and they're like, wait, what? <laughs> it's not like we haven't told them, but sometimes it just takes, I don't know, 30 times before it sinks in. My wife is Mennonite, I am German by, by heritage. So, But that all, German or Mennonite, whatever it may be, we are all sinners. And that... We have this law that we got through the Old Testament. We have this law in Scripture that lays out commands. But as as he says later on in chapter 5, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, you are sinners. But there is Jesus. And you can never be good enough on your own. You can never reach the glory of God on your own. But there is Jesus. And it is this beautiful picture of our broken flawed world wrapped in the good news the gospel wrapped in the good news that Jesus makes it possible to reach the glory of God I I love this idea of being wrapped in so it's my like one of my pet phrases when I talk about righteousness and justification We are imperfect. And the perfection and beauty and holiness of our God is like the heart of the sun. It is a place that no mere human in our brokenness can endure. But God sent His Son to wrap Himself around us. To give us his righteousness to give us innocence, to give us justification, so that we can stand in the presence of that pure, holy God without being consumed. He allows us to come into the presence of perfection. And, holiness. and the beautiful thing is it is for all who believe. Romans 3.22 The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus is for all who believe. I added the is there. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith see this this thing that this righteousness that we are wrapped in is not something that we can earn it's not something that we can do enough to get and when we try to it's like us trying to put the tatters of a cloak around ourselves or the tatters of a coat around ourselves and say look aren't we doing so good the tatters of our righteousness do not stand in the presence of perfection. And, and Paul goes on in chapter 4 to talk about that gift. And he says, now to the one who works, chapter 4, verse 4, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due." See, when we start thinking that we can do enough to please God, we start getting a little proud. We start saying this is what I've earned. This is mine. I can do this on my own. Look, I should get this because I've worked. You know, I put in a, a, a well, I would say 40 hour, but most but now we're looking at 50 and 60 hour work weeks more commonly for a lot I put in my, my hours, I want my paycheck, I'm mad that the government's taking X amount, and I want it all. I don't like to pay my CPP and my EI, I know it'll help me in the end, but right now I want it all because I, it's my due. That is not what the gospel is. That is not what we do as Christians. We do not earn And can't demand. But we receive. So the response is now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as as a gift, but is due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And he goes on when he's talking to the Jewish Christians in Rome. He uses their their history, which is also his history. This is a side note about Paul here. We're going to pause we'll jump back over. Paul was uniquely qualified to speak to this church in Rome. Does anyone, can anyone here, you can actually shout it out, Saul from, there we go, Saul from Tarsus. Paul was not from, Saul became Paul. I think, spoiler alert, that's next week. Um, Paul was originally born in, in Tarsus Not in Jerusalem or in the province of Judea Which was under Roman occupation He was born in Tarsus Which was part of the Roman Empire proper And much like there, in Canada You become a citizen by either being born here or spending enough time here and putting in the work and effort to go through the citizenship process. Paul was born into the Roman Empire and was therefore a full citizen. There were ways in the Roman Empire to become a partial citizen. You put in enough military service, you would gain some level of citizenship, all of this, but Paul was a full citizen. Roman citizen and was born and raised in a Roman city. But Paul was also a Pharisee. Which, just as a reminder, some of you who've grown up in the church have heard this word so many times that it has probably almost lost meaning. Or you're just thinking, because it's not fair, you see. But the Pharisees were not ultra-legalistic sect of Christianity in the first century that believed that the way to have a proper relationship with God was to rigidly and unfailingly follow every minute detail of the law to the like nth degree. To go above and beyond. So he was fully Roman and fully Jewish to a level that probably made the Jewish Christians, if they were to sit and compare notes on how they had lived their lives before Jesus, Paul would have like, out-Jewished them pretty handily. So Paul was uniquely qualified to speak into this, and he says, I know your history. It's my history too on both sides of this, and let me tell you that we're going to go he says like in our history we have abraham and abraham was chosen by god to form to be the to be the seed that became the israelite people to became the jewish nation and he said is this blessing only then for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised for when we say that faith was counted to abraham as righteousness How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. Paul says, look, your actions will never save you. Only faith in the one who saves will save you. And he lays this out and he says, look, don't strap things to this. Don't cover this news in the snowsuit of not eating pork. Don't cover this in this news in the snowsuit of all of this other stuff. Because this news is too good to taint with your attempts to bring control to it. I actually like uh, Wayne Grudem. Um, his he likes to talk quite a bit about faith more in the words of trust as a way of helping us understand because he, he talks about how faith in our world almost has become a negative thing. Oh, you just got to have faith. It's like almost believing in fairies. You know, you just got to have faith. It gets thrown out really easily in a lot of circles. So he talks in the language of trust and he says, Who are you putting your trust in? Are you trusting yourself? Are you trusting God? Because to be saved is to trust God alone. And I like the way Tim Keller brings this to us in a more in a more painful way. That when I read this, I had an oof moment of I'm pretty sure one of these I have said from my own mouth. But I'm going to read you this this section here from from one of tim keller's commentaries on romans suppose you were to die tonight and stand before god and he were to say to you why should i let you into my heaven what would you say another version of the question would be assuming for a moment that there really is a heaven what do you think the general requirements for are for admission who gets in and who doesn't Anyone who thinks of these questions, or sorry, anyone who asks one of these questions to a random sample of church going people will be surprised at the large number who say one of, because I have tried my best to be a good Christian, because I believe in God and try to do his will, or because I believe in God with all my heart. This is not a trick question. It reveals common misconceptions about what it means to believe, to have faith. Answer one, because I have tried my best to be a good Christian, is salvation by works. It's trying to earn our way, to to get our due because of what we've done. Answer two is salvation plus works because I believe in God and I try to do His will. It's like that like, I'm just going to, like, I believe, but I'm just going to, like, get a little extra just in case on the side, just to make sure I'm, I'm good. And answer three is salvation by faith as a work. Look how good I believe. Look how good my faith is. Each, in each case, the person is religious, but is not someone who does not work as Paul was talking in chapter 4. They have not done a real trust transfer, as Wayne Grudem was talking. In the last case, the person has even come to trust in his or her trust. But each alternative misses the glorious release of the gospel. These false understandings of saving faith will lead to insecurity, anxiety, a lack of assurance, possible spiritual pride, touchiness to criticism, and a devastation in the light of any moral lapses. So this definition of faith cuts against both the religious person and the irreligious person. On the outside, one seems to have faith and the other does not, but the religious person may be just as lost, having never confronted his or her own trust in self-justification. What saving faith is makes a total difference. If faith equals obedience, you are placing your faith in yourself and your abilities. I let Tim Keller say that because then you don't have to get mad at me. But that, when he describes the look of what it looks like, the insecurity, anxiety, the lack of assurance, the pride, the touchiness, I feel like I have seen much of that in in the last 20 years. The pastors who fail because of their strivings. The people who are disillusioned because the church isn't quite what they thought. the, The way our world has also become so siloed. See, Paul loves this gospel so much and you're going to find out how far he is willing to go for this gospel. And it feels appropriate today because I feel like our world is a world full of camps like Jew and Gentile. Andrew and I laugh that in Steinbach, I would probably be labeled liberal. In the west end of Winnipeg, where I live, I am labeled very conservative. And our world has siloed so much because of where we get our news and how what we will and won't listen to as a news source or as a source of, you know, we can pick from every teacher under the, sun, under the sun. And so we will say, well, I listen to, uh, I read these theologians and this, this guy, but I don't read that guy. I, I listen to this pastor, but not that pastor. I, walk, I follow these sources on Facebook, not those ones. I will listen to this news, n- news station, but I won't listen to that news station. And we have created these silos where we, And sometimes there are silos that are outside of the gospel. But there are silos that we have and hold where we are saying the things I have strapped to the gospel are the gospel, and if you don't strap those to your gospel, you are not part of the gospel. And Paul is saying that's not what it is. Paul actually goes on as he lays out this gospel that is the pure, unvarnished, gospel, that we are sinners saved by grace through faith so that no one can boast. He goes on, and at the end of Romans, from chapters 12 to the end, he switches tones, and he does, says, this is the gospel. And he says, now, what do we do in the light of that? And he spends so much time focusing on living at peace with one another. And the interesting thing, the challenging thing for me in the study of Romans is that when he says live with those you know live at peace with those that persecute you live at peace with those the implication is that you don't get to cut those people out of your life that you have to live with them being the operative word not just say i disagree with you and i'm the peace we're going to have is i'm never going to see you peace necessitates relationship and, and in this instance, he's not saying, you know, Roman church, maybe you should be two churches. Maybe you should go over here and you should go over here and you express your faith over here this way and you express this, your faith over here this way. He says, no, we actually need each other to stay on gospel. Because in this case, in Rome, Paul is saying, look, Jewish Christians, you are strapping... Jewish culture to the gospel and making it a barrier to others. But then there's another case in Corinthians where they are strapping, the, where the Gentile Christians strap the eating of meat sacrificed to idols in the market and they say, well, we can't do that because of their, their Gentile cultural superstitions about that. And Paul says, no, that's okay. You're strapping your cultural superstitions to that. And he says, we need each other as the broad family of believers to keep each other on gospel. And when we just silo ourselves, we lose sight of the gospel because we don't see the things we've strapped to it. Tim Keller was talking with someone and this, this person was, was black, and they were basically saying to Tim Keller, he's like, you white people, like you don't see that you have white culture, you just think you have culture. Because as, as white North Americans who come from European descent largely, we are dominant. We are, there's the most of us in In a lot of settings and so we don't often see the ways we're blind culturally and what we start to do uh, is we strap start strapping things to the gospel and making them a barrier so an example of this is I was connected with a church in in the West End of Winnipeg for for a season and there was the potential that we were working on a church plant and there were some people from that church that ended up basically killing the plant because we ended up we had so many people coming from the neighborhood who were of many different stripes and walks of life that were not german baptist in their roots which meant there were people with mental illness there were people who didn't have who were experiencing homelessness who did not have a home and a place to shower or clean clothing We had people coming from all different walks of life. And at one point, the the, the thing that actually, the moment that I feel like it died, was there was a leadership meeting of those of us involved, and one of the people who had come from this church who was hoping to get this plant started basically said, well, if they want to come here, this is our place, and they need to know how to behave when they're here. And it became this thing where they all of a sudden strapped having a shower to the gospel and not speaking up during a sermon to the gospel and things like that. And so I I invite you to to reflect in this coming number of months as you go through the book of Acts to, to reflect on the beauty that is the gospel because the beauty of Christ wrapping himself around us and allowing us to approach the throne of a holy God is marvelous and wonderful. But I challenge you to ask yourself the question, because the reality is we are all doing something. What are you strapping to the gospel? What are you wrapping around the gospel that is making it a barrier to someone who does not know it yet? What are you adding to or changing or masking about the gospel because of your history? And sometimes it's, sometimes it's not necessarily like a bad thing. Like in this case, the, the Jewish people had spent centuries obeying the commands that God had given to obey these laws. It's not that they were doing something necessarily like inherently terrible by following these commands. But Paul was saying, this is something you have strapped to the gospel that has now become a barrier to others knowing the gospel. And so... I would encourage you, as you're reading through Acts, if you're wanting to add to your devotional life, add Romans in. And if you want to be real keener, as he's traveling, find the letters that correspond to where he's traveling and read those as well. Because they'll give either the follow-up for after he left or the prequel for, for why he was going. And ask yourself those questions about yourself. Because... One of, one of my hobby horses is this idea that there are always at play three cultures in any one person who is a believer. There is the perfect culture. There is the perfect culture that the gospel dictates. There is the culture of the world around us. And then, because we are flawed and broken people, we always make this third culture that is a bit of an amalgam of the two. And the challenge for us as believers as we seek to make disciples of all nations, as we seek to bring the gospel to every corner of this globe and every corner of Steinbeck and every corner of Winnipeg, to every new immigrant, to every person who grew up in the church and was told that they had to strap so many things to the gospel to really believe that we need to unpack that third culture we have created in ourselves so that when we bring the gospel to people, they see the beauty of it that Paul was willing to live for, give his whole life for, and even die for. Let's pray. Holy Father, in the name of Your Son, Jesus, we come into Your presence as those wrapped in the righteousness of Your Son. We come into Your presence as those who have received the gift of grace. God, we are sinners that You have redeemed and we thank you and we worship you for how you have redeemed us we thank you that you have loved us so much to send your son so that we could know you and enter the perfection of your presence but God we also know that the world around us is still broken is still in need of Jesus, is still in need of being wrapped in righteousness. And we know that there are ways that we strap things to that good news of your son's life, death, and resurrection. So God, help us to revel in and delight in your gospel and help us to see the ways that we strap things to it. Mm that become barriers to those around us. Father God, you are good and we praise you. In your name I pray, amen.